You are listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Hello and welcome to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host for today's interview, Captain Elizabeth Cassio. Today our guest is Deputy Assistant Chief Lillian Bonsignor. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Happy to be here. So we go way back. We do. And I know you from probably day one since you started, but our listeners don't know who you are, so start with, you know, how did it start for Lillian? Well, how did it start? It was a long time ago. (laughs) Uh, I'm in my 26th year now on a job. I started with uh, HHC, New York City EMS, so it was pre-merger. Mm-hmm. It was uh, December of 1991, so I was part of the crew that still remembers wearing green and white. I worked out of Station 14, which back then was considered Station 21. It was Lincoln Hospital in the South Bronx. It was an amazing place to work, and I spent several years there, and in 1997, I became an instructor. and. That's where our history picks up. And I joined the staff of the CFR training program, which was fairly new at that point. Right, that's the certified first responder class for the firefighters. Correct, that was an interesting time. It was an interesting time, yeah. (laughs) I maintained my uh, teaching credentials and my instructorship uh, until now, and through the years I've climbed the ranks and, and became a paramedic and lieutenant captain. I was a captain at Station 57 in Brooklyn, and also at Station 39 in Brooklyn, and always had a foot still in the door at the EMS Academy. Right. So no matter what rank I, I hit, I was somehow filtered back into training. And it ended with me having the extreme pleasure of serving as the chief of EMS training. So that's that's my current position now, back at training, uh, ready to serve. That's a great place for you. You certainly have a passion for oh, it. I absolutely love it. I don't think there's anyone who loves that place more than me. One of the reasons that we decided to do this interview today with you is based on the leadership column that you wrote for the last edition. Right, Leading the Invisibles. It really struck me, your perspective on Leading the Invisibles. So tell us a little bit about that thought process. Leading the Invisible really stems from something that I've heard throughout my entire career. You're probably very familiar with it. You've heard it yourself. And that's the saying that as an organization or as a profession, that we spend 90% of our energy on 10% of our people who can't get out of their own way. And from a leadership perspective, I think that's a significant statement because if we're even close to being true, what that means is that the people who are in an authority position or a leadership position have their first interaction with those who are not doing the right thing what happens to the people who are doing the right thing every day? Right. You know, do we ignore them or do we make an effort to make sure that they understand that they're appreciated? My position in that article is really more of a challenge because I tie it back to when we were children, right? We all kind of learned how to get our own needs served. And as an officer, as a leader, you're now in a position where you have to serve others. So what we do is we look for problems. We're problem solvers. We're problem solvers by the nature of us being EMTs and paramedics. We're problem solvers by us being parents. We're problem solvers by us being officers. So we fall back on a thing we know most, and that's solve the problem. Mm. But not everybody has a problem. Right. So if we're not looking at everybody else, how do they continue to feel engaged? Mm. So it's really more of a challenge. What are we trying to accomplish? 
Are we really looking to spend all our effort and time on reprimand and correction? Or are we looking to encourage and engage those who do the good job? How do you get that message out there? How do you engage and teach people that there is maybe this better way that always focusing on that 10% that require remediation or reprimand, that they're not the entire piece of this job? Well, that's the question of the year, right? How do we start to change behavior? And anytime we talk about changing behavior, we're looking at a big problem. So I would say the first thing that we have to do is start talking about it, right? The other thing I think we need to do is model it because it has to be specific. If it goes against what we normally do, which is solve problems, then we have to be specific in our approach. We have to stop in our tracks and think about the message. What are we trying to accomplish here? What are we trying to do as, a, as an organization? And when we have an organization that is 17,000 people and we're only focusing on problems, we are missing a boat in a big way. Mm -hmm. So how do we do it? We model the behavior. We stop dealing with the people who can't get out of their own way over and over and over. We deal with them very quickly without negotiation and put them wherever they need to be as far as discipline goes. Everybody is different, but more so what we should be doing is focusing on keeping people engaged. Keep them engaged, keep them appreciated. People that are brought to an emergency service job are people who believe they have the answer for others. They're sensitive, they're emotional, they want to help, they want to be needed. They step up and give up some of their own lives to serve others. They need to know that that matters. Right. They need to know they're appreciated for that and it's working. So we shift gears as officers and we recognize and we stop on you know, those days where you want to run past because you're so busy, mm. somebody wants to have a conversation, maybe you stop for a minute or two and you engage. I agree with that. But now you're in a position where you're in charge at the academy, right? So you have some not only influence, but you have the authority to make changes, to adopt new curriculum. How is that going to affect our first-line supervisor training and the additional training classes. Well, again, I think it has a significant impact because we already started seeing the change in the field, you know, and everything starts with training. So when we start our training process, whether it be for new employees or even people who are coming back to recertify or officer classes, getting a message out there is a priority for us. So much so that I personally make an effort to visit every classroom at least once during their stay. And I spend 20, 30 minutes talking to them about who are you here and are you in or are you out? And then we discuss what their future might look like. But the message is very clear about what we expect of them and how they already are leaders in our department. You don't all of a sudden become a leader. Right. You are already the leader in this department. And we discuss what that means. The new employees that are coming out, are they're very enthusiastic. They're very engaged. We do a really good job in training dealing with the cognitive way of learning mm -hmm. and the psychomotor way of learning, which is your skills right. and your reading of content and your books and understanding. We weren't doing a good job of how you emotionally feel 
about putting these things together, the effective learning. And our focus over the last year and a half has been include emotion right. in what we do because people are emotional, they're sensitive, they feel like they want to contribute, they feel like they have the answer. Allow them to express the very things that brought them to us in the beginning. Right. So we've incorporated all that in, and I think we're starting to see some real positive results. Well, you're right, because the entry level of the job, EMT, and then the next level, paramedic, you are the first on the scene of typically a very chaotic situation or, or something that the people who have called for help just don't know how to deal with, right? And you have to take control of that scene. You have to have some sort of leadership skill to be able to do that. If you come here without any leadership skill, then you have to learn how to develop it because you will be otherwise be ineffective in this role. What advice would you give people coming into this entry level and maybe not even realizing that these are leadership skills that they're going to be employing when they're operating as an EMT or paramedic? What guidance or advice would you offer to them? That's a great question. Uh, there's so much. And I would say, you know, when you see two people show up, what I see are two leaders in the room. Right. So I think we have the same expectation of them equally. We're not looking for one to be a leader over the other. The thing I would say to them is, much like I say in a classroom, you are already the leader. And we're all born with the same superpower. And I don't think we really figure that out until we're grown-ups. Maybe sometimes when somebody points it out to you, you can recognize it quicker. And that superpower is the power of influence. And we all have it. We either influence in a good way or we influence in a bad way. Mm. We either use it to serve or we use it to be served. And I think once people recognize their power of influence, it's easier to take responsibility for it. So I would say for those people who are walking into those situations trying to figure out, am I the leader? That's the question. Who are you? Because leadership is not something that is bestowed upon you. That is not something that you get in a card or a certification you put in your pocket. You could pull out and say, I'm the leader. Also, if you have to claim yourself as the leader, chances are you're not. It's the people who are willing to follow you that label you as the leader. And what is it they're trying to follow? What are they connecting to that you have? And I would say that would be your values, your character, your ability to serve others, to make them feel like they're supported. And the quicker we learn about how we interact with our world and the influence that we yield, the easier it is to unlock your own leadership abilities. I don't think it's something that you don't have. I think it's something that you learn to use better right. as you go through life. Right. And and clearly, you should be looking for role models. Absolutely. You have to have an honest internal dialogue sure. with who you are, um, what you want to be doing, mm-hmm. how you want to influence others. I do agree. I think it's incredibly intuitive and insightful point to say that that is your base of power, the influence that you are able to affect on other people. It requires a a tremendous amount of self-awareness, right? It does, absolutely. And self-regulation and the ability to empathize with others and the ability to be true to yourself but still consider the contrary 
because you, you can't always have all the answers. Like there's so much that goes into self-development mm -hmm. and it's the self-development that allows other people to feel comfortable in your presence. Right. It's, it's not something you do to other people. It's stuff that you invest in yourself that other people can really hook on to, so to speak. Right. I always think it's funny, you know, when I look at people who claim to be a, a leader, but there's nobody following, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> right. Because sometimes we confuse leadership with a position of leadership, right? Yes. A position of leadership with, yeah, with or, a rank. Or mm -hmm. a rank is mm -hmm. something completely different than mm -hmm. being a leader, so to speak. No, I totally agree yeah. with that. I think, and I think that really is more authority based rather than leadership based. Yes. When nine eleven being one of the uh, most defining moments in our lives mm -hmm. and our careers, that day rank when those buildings were coming down and people had to make choices uh, and the subsequent hours of what do we do next, people were not turning to somebody with necessarily with rank to figure out what should I do next. They were turning to who they trusted, who they thought made sound decisions and um, were going to keep them as safe as you could possibly be in that very unpredictable time. Rank was not Does, relevant. Doesn't play a part. People did and not look at their collabrass. Which goes back to telling a brand new EMT walking in a door that you are already the leader here, right? right? It, it, it is about your ability to serve others. It's about how you influence. It's about what you're willing to put out there. And we talk a lot also, you know, at the officer level, about self-examination, right? Mm -hmm. Are you somebody who wants to have change or are you somebody who wants to be credited for change? Right. Those are two different things right. because if it's the change you're after, regardless of who gets the credit for it, then maybe you're gonna find yourself with a bigger following than if it's the change you're looking for so you can put an award on your wall, mm -hmm. you know? Right. When you're looking to drive change, when you're looking to step up in these situations that are just overwhelming. I mean, I, I listened to uh, Chief Olszewski's podcast in one of the previous episodes, and clearly she described leadership. Mm. She was almost like crushed by buildings Yet she stayed at work, setting up a command post, going to headquarters, staying at the job. I mean, we all experience those kind of moments that you either take charge or somebody else will. Right. In extreme circumstances, leaders will emerge. And if you have what it takes, and again, you know, people who come to these type of services feel they have the answer and a little bit of ego, right? Because you have to be confident in yourself, right. in your own abilities. But if you feel that you're that person who has the answer, it doesn't matter what you wear on your, your collar. It really doesn't. You know, authority in a rank structure is very different from leadership. I agree. You can have leadership at all levels because, again, I, I think you kind of carry it in your pocket. You just don't realize it mm -hmm. maybe until later in life. That's a fair statement. I think that what I know of myself as a leader and just, you know, as a human being at 54 is different than it was at 24. Yeah, I don't know. I'm 24. <laughs> All right, I'm not 24. With 26 years on the Yeah, 24 with 26 years. <laughs> as a kid, they used to call it bossy. See, it turned into something really good. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, yeah. I've actually read that before where particularly women get labeled as bossy 
Yeah. But they can be very effective leaders when they grow up. Sure. Yeah. So one day we will not even discuss this point, but you are one of two of the highest ranking women in the fire department and in the EMS. That's correct. Do you think it changes anything the way you operate being in this position where people say, you know, like for myself, what's it like to be the first female in your position? You know, I'm, I'm not in that position because I was not the first. Uh, I am the second and I'm very honored to be the second because Chief Olszewski was the first and I admire her to no end. So it's nice to even be considered on the same playing field as her. Mm-hmm. Having a woman in a staff chief position, I think changes the dynamic for everyone. Brings a new perspective to uh, the conversation that maybe didn't exist mm-hmm. uh, previous years. How do you think that influences leadership? Because that's what we're gonna talk about today, right? Sure. Specifically is leadership, what makes a good leader? What qualities should a good leader have? Right, so I think, you know, the, the fact that I'm a woman doesn't have so much of an impact on my leadership, it's just kind of who I am. But in the big picture, when, when we're interacting with everybody else, I think any time you add a different perspective, you increase your likelihood of success. Mm. I I think if we live in a bubble and we just see our own way, that we're really missing the boat. So I hope that I bring that perspective to the game. I I think I'm very well received amongst my peers. I feel like I'm part of the picture and part of the solution. And I just hope to do the best I can for everyone and one day not have to discuss the fact that I'm also a woman. Yeah, one day. But there is a distinction between the definition of boss and the definition of leader. Without a doubt. Um, Right, without a doubt. Which circles back to not only grow as time goes by, but to also, and the only way to grow is to examine, right? Self-examine. Be honest. Be honest with yourself. Be honest. It's one thing to self-examine and think, wow, I am completely awesome, right? <laughs> right. And it's another thing to self-examine and say, wow, I, I have some real flaws. Right. And here, right. here are some areas that I can do better. Or here is how I can interact better with this particular person or a different mm-hmm. social style as opposed to this person over here who that doesn't work for. It's a constant. Yeah, re-examining uh, re- how you yeah, sure. approach the situation. Constant approach. Yes, you have to go back and... And own it. Yeah. Or eat it, some might say, right? But certainly own it. If I lose my temper with you in public, I do make a habit of apologizing in public. Makes sense. Um, And hopefully the discomfort of apologizing in in public is... Enough to avoid the next... Enough to influence me (laughs) so that next time I'll think twice about, you know, losing my temper. Yeah. It's it's that, easier as you get older. I that's certainly something that uh, you work toward as you get older. You just avoid that embarrassment altogether. Besides, it's counterproductive. It, it really, is counterproductive. It is. I mean, you don't get what you're actually looking for in leading people to do a better job. You don't get what you're looking for if you're constantly in a position where you're losing your temper or you're not leading by example, or you're focused on recognition. If I always need or want to be recognized for the contributions that I'm making, you could be You could be quite effective if your contributions are worth, uh, worth something. I mean, but will you be the leader? Right. Maybe not, right. you know, and that's okay too. I mean, there are lots of people who are very, very skilled and not everybody is built to be in charge. Not everybody Mm -hmm. is built to be the leader. I mean, can you imagine 
if that were the case where everybody was a leader, we'd, you know. Right, society might have some bigger problems than we already do. Correct. Everybody kind of falls into the place where they feel most comfortable. And some, as they continue to go through life, whether it be in a job setting or in a personal setting, they learn. They learn, they grow, they look at themselves, they change their opinions, they become the leaders that maybe they could have been years ago. And some people just never get to that place. And that superpower of influence is exercised in a very different way. But it becomes a choice. Am I willing to see the truth in me? Or is it just better to think I'm awesome? I guess it depends on what your goal is. Right. <laughs> you know, we talk about do the right thing. Right? And we say that a lot in this line of work. It's like a mantra, right? Right. But what does it mean? What does do the right thing mean to you? Maybe do the right thing to you is not the same as do the right thing to me. Right? Maybe we've come into this job with different value systems based sure. on how we were raised. So I think that it's important to make sure everybody is first on that same level playing field of this is what the right thing is. The real basis of that is what is the right thing, right? That's that's the question. What is the right thing? And we just need to establish a consistent messaging. We're just chock full of amazing people here, and the majority of people want to come to work. They, they enjoy working here. They love the fire department. I'm one of them. So how do we take that, that level of enthusiasm, and translate that into something that is consistent, that we can all repeat and all make sure that people understand this is our values. This is what we believe as a department, right? Mm -hmm. So getting that message out in an environment where there are fires to fight, people to save, administrative roles to fulfill, it's not an easy thing. Mm -hmm. It's not an easy thing. We're not just an office building. We do uh, all hazards for New York City, and getting that same message out is not always easy because right. there are so many other factors that influence our everyday. Some people who work for the fire department may never see the level of tragedy at a level of death that somebody at EMS or somebody of fire operations may see. So those outside influences play a role also. So we would need to find something somewhere in the middle of the road where everybody can really attach to it. We have guidelines, we have protocols, Sure. but we always tell people as part of the learning process that every situation is going to be different and you have to take these guidelines that we've taught you and adapt to the situation that presents and overcome whatever the obstacles are. So decision-making can be challenging in these types of environments, right? There's a lot Absolutely. of stress, sensory overload. Sure. And lots of people could be affected by the outcomes, right? Right. So, right. so what guidance would you give, you know, say somebody who's got to make a serious decision under very dire situation and um, maybe it's not going to be the right one. Yeah. And maybe they're afraid to make a decision for that reason. Yeah. I would say three things. One would be consider what, what you're trying to accomplish. Don't be emotional. That's not an easy thing to do, but the people who work in emergency-type jobs get very good at detaching from emotion at the time when things are going on. Well, right. You have to, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't you be got able no to choice. It's odd, right, because we talk about us as in general, being an emotional group of people who come to serve. And then we talk about the operation aspect being non-emotional. Right. But those two things actually work very well together. Um, allow yourself a little latitude to not get it all right. 
And then finally, the most important thing would be make the decision. Make a decision. Because not making a decision mm. is actually a decision. Right. It, it's an abandonment. It's a withdrawal. Make the decision. Be confident in what you're trying to accomplish. Make sure that it's serving the purpose, not yourself. And be okay if it doesn't go right. Just be willing to and able to explain your train of thought when that is questioned, if it's questioned. Mistakes is how we learn. Nobody gets it right all the time. It's a learning tool. In fact, if I didn't make mistakes, I would think I was doing something wrong. I agree with you. I say all the time, no natural-born experts. That's correct. But we have to identify that the emotional aspect of that assignment or that particular operation or situation may surface once everything is over. Right. And we have to allow for that. If we were emotionally driven, there's no way we could be a help to the situation or to the patient or to the family or, right. you know. We need to maintain our composure because we are the help. Once we show up, the emergency's over. And we have an obligation now to be that help that they called for. We come to work, we work eight to 16 hours, whether you're an EMT, a medic, a, a certified first responder, a firefighter, anybody. Your business is tragedy. Right. That's what we do for a living. We, we do tragedy. So how much of that can you take before you need to really unload? Which brings us back to our initial point of, if we're not taking the time to acknowledge the contribution, the sacrifice that our people are giving day in and day out, and we're only focusing on those problems, then we are missing the vast majority of our employees. Right. So having people happy, having people engaged, having people enthusiastic, and having people like feel acknowledged can really affect lots of different things inside the workplace. Right. Well, it's been a great conversation. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. It's a, it a pleasure to have this opportunity. I really appreciate it. I think that the messaging starts here, right, with this podcast. It does. And with our columns in Pro-EMS. And each one of us own a piece of this, right? Yes. So, you know, make it on purpose. <laughs> Be sure to check back with us next time when we go one-on-one with another FDNY EMS professional. I'm Liz Cassio. Stay safe. FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest. Twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, three hundred and sixty-five days a year, and when seconds count. The men and the women of the FDNY are there for us, to protect us and keep us safe when the unthinkable happens. No matter the challenge, no matter the danger, our firefighters and EMTs serve with honor, dedication, and bravery. New York's bravest are there for us. Let's be there for them. Your support of the FDNY Foundation ensures that the world's best fire department has the world's best training, equipment, and education. Go to fdnyfoundation.org and help New York's bravest save a life today.